And I don't mind that. Great. Let the celebrities come on board. Let everybody come on board. Everybody's welcome. But I just hope that doesn't fade. Forgotten Corner Podcast would not exist without our listeners. If you enjoy the work we are doing on this show and would like to support further, please consider a donation through our Patreon account, patreon.com backslash Forgotten Corner Pod, or visit our website, ForgottenCornerPod.com. Welcome back to the Forgotten Corner Podcast. We acknowledge that the Forgotten Corner occupies unceded Indigenous land. We acknowledge that the Blackfoot Confederacy never surrendered its land in the signing of Treaty 7, but agreed to share it. The Forgotten Corner sits on Treaty 7 and Treaty 4 territory, traditional lands of the Siksika, Kainai, Pekani, Stony Nakoda, and Sutina, as well as the Cree, Sioux, and the Soto bands of the Ojibwa peoples. We also honor and acknowledge that we are on the Métis Nation within Region 3. The Forgotten Corner is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network, and if you'd like to check out other progressive podcasts from across the country, do click on the link that we always provide in our show notes. My name is Scott Schmidt. Uh, it's been a long time since we've done this. Uh, I think I remember my co-host's name, Jerome. How's it going, buddy? Jeremy Appel? How you Hello. doing, it's been Great so long. to hear your voice. It has been yeah. a very long time. The, oh, the band's back together. Yeah. Um, I am here up in uh treaty six uh yeah so... as i read that land acknowledgement now i realize that i'm always the only person in the meeting that's on this particular piece of land anymore yeah our guest is never from here you're not fr- yeah it's fine we're still doing yeah. it yeah we still are how 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 are your holidays scott uh it's been it's been an interesting one um getting real uh real uh upfront with the Alberta killer Alberta healthcare system these days. Um, my pops went in the hospital on Christmas Eve and uh, he, but he's, he's doing a lot better. So um, I won't get into too many details about that, but couldn't figure out what was going on wrong with him for a bit, but he was home for Christmas day. So that was good. Um, but then uh, uh, one of my uh, best friends, he needs uh, like a, a valve replacement in his heart and so he was supposed to have open heart surgery on december 12th uh because he's had this calcium buildup that's become severe and it's like we got to do this right away kind of thing so december 12th he's supposed to have a surgery and it got canceled because you guessed it the uh icus in calgary were full um and then he got the call last week that he was supposed to have his surgery today so he went today I shit you not, he got admitted to the, put in the hospital. They took him to the OR, like he got prepped and everything. He got taken to the OR. They sat there for an hour and a half, and then they canceled his surgery because they ran out of oxygenators, which is some some thing that they use that they just fucking ran out of. And so they canceled his surgery again and uh, hoping that they can do it next Wednesday. So anyway, it's been a day. Plus, it's Roberta's mom's uh, passing one year anniversary today. So yeehaw! <laughs> but oh, yeah, that's right. She went to uh, she went to shul. Uh, she was telling me in Calgary. Yeah, the first time and she and she would not approve of the episode we're about to do, which is something else. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, Roberta's uh, mom. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. No, Roberta would, of course. Yeah, I was like, like what? We were no, talking 100%, about? 100%. But Roberta's mom would definitely not approve. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so it's been a bit of a day. But uh, no, I've, I actually, like, like, other than I just gave you a huge sob story, I'm actually doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I... Um... Yeah. <laughs> My book is coming out very soon. Uh, Kennyism, Jason Kenny's Pursuit of Power, uh, February yeah, we should 6th. Get you on a, we should get you on this podcast to talk about that. <laughs> I was actually going to suggest that uh, to you. And I was like, actually, we promised our listeners that we would talk more about Palestine in the new year because we've only really done one episode uh, focused on it. It was just us talking, um, which, uh, you know, is great. I, I, I love it when you know, we talk as, as two white guys, but, uh, you know, well, you're, you have a little bit more skin in the game than I do, which, um, <laughs> well, yeah, that's fair. So, um, anyway, and, and, and that is something I struggle with as, as a, a, a Jewish person who is, you know, appalled by, um, Israel. Well, and I, I think our guest today would probably approve of any white people um, starting to talk more about this uh, from a truth standpoint. And, yeah. uh, and it, it's just I, I find I, I find it's a hard balance strike because on the one hand, obviously, these smears that everyone is anti-Semitic are growing more and more prevalent and are getting mixed in with actual uh, instances of anti-Semitism that need to be uh, combated um, and so I, I do think it is good as a Jewish person to speak out and let people know that they can and they're not in smack do so. But the other hand, you also don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is the Palestinian struggle. And um, so um, with that being yeah, said, 100 uh, percent, let's let's get the show. I, I won't. Yeah. Uh, our guest has been very patient. Sometimes our guests like try and like join our conversation um that we're having before we introduce them it's just like no shut up you're not here yet we'll <laughs> let you in when you're told yeah meanwhile <laughs> every single time they're just sitting there watching us have to do this like this is what i signed up for hey okay yeah we didn't even talk about sports how your 49ers are uh yeah clinch the one seed so that's good so yeah. i don't have to actually worry about football for a few weeks so that's good um, did you, but I, if we're going to talk sports, the one thing I want to ask you is, did you see Darko's rant today? Cause it was yeah, I saw it last amazing. night. It was yeah. amazing. Oh my yeah, God. I watched it last night. I watched so the good. game. So I yeah. was like already like texting a buddy, like this is unbelievable. Yeah. The refing. And then he just like lit them up. So if you don't understand the Toronto Raptors, uh, played in LA last night, uh, would be the Tuesday of whatever week what is it the ninth it would have been anyway um and uh they got like pretty hosed by the refs uh and still only lost by one but if uh you haven't seen uh darko ryakovich's um rant about the refereeing it's uh it's gone pretty viral it's going to be one of those ones that you fall back on for years to come um like the you know like the you play to win the games and those kinds of ones that like last forever like we're talking about some, practice yeah exactly some of his lines in that presser mwah, chef's kiss like they are gonna last forever so it, he's yeah. he's just so serbian <laughs> <laughs> it was so good, man. It was yeah. so good. Any, anyways, I, yeah, 
that's it. Well, but, that's it for yeah. sports today. But go listen, yeah. go watch that if you haven't seen that because it's worth it, even if you don't like sports. Yeah. Anyways, this is gonna be a really awkward uh, transition. But, <laughs> um, uh, last time we released an episode on November sixteenth, Israel had killed more than eleven thousand Palestinians in Gaza, almost ten times the amount of Israelis killed in the Hamas attacks on October seventh. At the time, Israel was in the midst of raiding Gaza's largest hospital, claiming it was built on top of Hamas's headquarters, its command and control center, they said. Two months later, the death toll is now approaching 24,000, so more than twice as many people have been killed. We still have no evidence whatsoever that Al-Shifa Hospital was a Hamas base and not just uh had some tunnels under it that weren't being used and uh there's no end in sight to israel's genocidal war now if you've been out to the rallies uh here where i am in edmonton uh protesting the slaughter our guest voice is likely a familiar one to you joining us to make sense of the current moment we're in, how we got here, and uh, what is going to happen next is Musa Kaskas. He's the spokesperson for the Canadian-Palestinian Cultural Association and a board member for Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East. Welcome to the show, Musa. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you guys having me. It's a lot of yeah. pressure he just put on you too. Hey, like you're going to make sense of all this. So, <laughs> yeah. all right, have at her. Good luck. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, it's an easy topic too. It's not the yes. most polarizing topic. Everybody seems to have like a pretty basic, you know, understanding too, you know. Well, I, I don't yeah. think we have too many listeners who are, uh, too many regular listeners that are, uh, uh, standing with Israel, um, especially these days. Well, uh, not anymore after they heard our last episode anyways. I don't know. Yeah, but... Not anymore um, after they learned who we are and what we That's think. Right. That's right. That's um, right. But Musa, it's uh, great to finally meet you. Um, it's it, sort of, um, you know, because we haven't met before, even though we sort of, uh, you know, we have a bunch of mutual friends, uh, you know, Asher Kirshner, uh, Fatima Saleh, right? So we uh, know a lot of the same people, um, but... Uh, this is the name-dropping segment of the show. Yeah, <laughs> it's how I demonstrate that I'm cool and I have I have clout <laughs> and street cred. Um, no, but... Um, so that, until uh, this evening, we're recording on a Wednesday evening. Um, You're sort of like a disembodied voice to me, just uh, you know, um, leading leading the chance um, in, in in doing it with such uh, passion and uh, and uh, you know fire in your belly, and um, I guess for. Uh, our listeners right now, you are probably for most of them, a disembodied voice. Um, so, um, first part of the show, whenever we have a guest on, we haven't had on before is that 
um, they tell us about themselves and sort of how they came into the sort of work they're doing right now that they're uh, on the podcast talk about. And then we'll get into some of the more uh, 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 ambitious discussions that I allude to in my introduction. L so literal life story time like yeah, 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 yeah. musa you were born in palestine uh so i guess to start where in palestine and 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 sort of how do you come to canada so um first i want to start by saying i as well i'm on treaty 60 land uh, or treaty 6 land sorry treaty 60 60 geez yeah uh, if that's what a can of worms that'd be to open up. But um, <laughs> I, I as well treat the sixth land, and I benefit from that land as well. Um, I think it's important for me from one indigenous community to another um, because there are so many ties to the indigenous community, and they, they're, they're. I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, one of the chiefs put out a, a letter today to Trudeau um, asking for a ceasefire. So. Um, the, the solidarity from the Indigenous community has been incredible, so I, I want to recognize that. Um, oh, I just saw that. I just saw yeah. that right now. Cindy Woodhouse. His, That's right. The the AFN actually endorsed a ceasefire like a month ago at their at, at the special assembly where she was elected. Another uh, resolution, which was put forward by a chief uh, from I want to say Enoch Cree Nation. Yeah. Um, who is a uh, former, um, who is a, an expert in international indigenous law and it passed unanimously. There were some abstentions, but no one voted against it. So yeah. that tells you something. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, so for me, I guess um, I moved to Canada when I was two years old. Uh, we were, in fact, to be, to be totally accurate, I was born in Jordan. Um, because my mom was uh, on vacation there. It was the summer. I was born in August. Uh, but we were, you know, our family's from the West Bank. We still have land and a home there and whatnot. We're in an area just 10 minutes north, uh, northeast of Ramallah. So Ramallah is our, like, town, basically, that we say we're from. So, um, and, yeah, I've, I moved to Canada when I was two years old. Originally moved to Calgary for the first 13 years of my life and then Edmonton for the remainder um, I had a pretty interesting upbringing. We were very poor when we moved here. So we moved from subsidized house to subsidized, you know, Edmonton housing projects. So I moved like nine times in six years. They just kind of move you around when they need the place. So, uh, I went to a lot of different schools. Um, the one interesting thing is, and I don't know how this totally came about, but I, I'm Muslim and I went to Catholic school my entire life. Um, so, yeah, it's a, just a strange thing. Wow. Um, so, uh, and then um, I was always really passionate about Palestine. It was always something where, honestly, when I was young, I, I didn't, you know, I grew up as, I was an Edmontonian, you know, I was one of those, I was the 90s child uh, when I was really young, 80s, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, uh, you know, stampede wrestling when it was here and stuff like that. So going back home to Palestine for me wasn't like, it was just, it was always scary, right? It was always like, I, it was, it's always been occupation since 1967, you know, 10 years after I was born. So I've never known anything but occupation when I went back home. And, uh, you know, we used to go there every five years um, because you, you had to do that to renew your Palestinian citizenship or else you just lost your citizenship and you lost your land and whatnot. And these are like the little rules that people don't ever really hear or think about, just more ways of getting rid of Palestinians. 
from the land. So we used to go every five years and, uh, and I, I, because of that, I used to always, it used to always bother me what the Western perception was versus what I was seeing there. Like we were always just made out to be terrorists and like, you know, and in the eighties and nineties, it was even more blunt if you were a Muslim, especially in, you know, true lies and all these movies were crimson jihad. And I remember all these like just things and, and thinking how, like it was like cognitive dissonance for me in Palestine and then being here because it was always like, man, these guys are telling me I'm the bad guy and I'm watching movies and shows where I'm the bad guy. And, you know, and you know, like, it's almost like you, you feel like you're being indoctrinated. Like, and you know, everyone says, well, I, I'm not indoctrinated, but the whole point of it is you don't know what's happening. Right. So, so it was kind of like that dilemma, but, but, you know, when I got a little bit older, I started to understand after high school that, you know, there are things you can actually do from where you are to affect change. And so I started getting more into activism, community service. And then uh, about, I don't know, say 20 years ago, I joined Canada Palestine Cultural Association. Since then, I've been on and off with them in some capacity as the vice president at one time. And for the last 15 years, I've basically been doing, uh, you know, the uh, media uh, spots for them and public relations and stuff like that. So it was something that was always kind of like, just a passion because that was my country. That was, you know, when things happened there, it wasn't just watching it on TV. It was, you know, actually family and stuff like that. So to back you up just a little bit. So how did your parents manage to get here? Like, obviously, I mean, you know, we're, what are we doing? A thousand visas for people, as long as you have a relative or something right now. So it's obviously not easy to just pick up and go. How were they able to, you know, manage to do that? And was it something that they had had been hoping to do? And I guess to broaden the question even further and sort of make, uh, give you lots to think about, but is that a mindset of a, like what percentage of people would you say that are there are trying to get out of there uh, for safety reasons or for, or, or, you know, poverty reasons, just simply because it's like yeah. freaking open air prison and these kinds of things. Yeah. Believe it or not, it's, it's, there's such a connection to the land with Palestinians. I find there's actually not a lot of people that want to get out. And you'll notice the people that do leave, leave for just like what you said, safety, but they're always connected to the land. They're always going back. And, you know, like even myself, this last summer I was there, um, I inherited a piece of land from my mom and I registered it and got it licensed and a title and everything. I mean, I may never go back there and live because, you know, unfortunately it doesn't look great, the situation, but right. I always have that dream that if it is free, I want a home there. Like I'm building a summer home or something that I hope to go back to. Um, so there isn't a lot of it, but my parents' situation was you know my my dad came from a family they had i think seven sis he had seven girls and three boys in the family and you know most people there are just farmers and they're not that well off my dad was the only one in the family that was you know educated post-secondary level so it was kind of on him to his family said if you can get out you get out and then you know try to work and make a good life for yourself and send money back if you can so that was more their situation and we're actually the lucky ones because you know, there's a lot of people, obviously, there's people that we call, um, we call them 1948 Arab, which are the ones that were kicked out in 1948, right. the 67 ones. We're actually still there. We're not any of those. We still live there. We still have. So I'm actually the lucky one. My parents got out, not not easy, but they, they got out and, and came to Canada to work, right, to, to make a better life for their kids. What did they did? Did they know much about the like Western culture when they came and and 
uh did they have to sort of change what they did for a living or like like what what did they do at home and what did they do when they came here yeah so my dad again luckily he was a really really educated man and so he um he used to teach english actually in saudi arabia uh and then he used to teach english in other places so when he came um he you know none of his education was like uh verified they didn't have like IQOS in those day, days, the International Qualification Assessment Services, where they like will take a degree from one country and give you. They just said, no, you got to kind of start from scratch. So he couldn't really do what he was doing. I remember when he first came, he worked in like a battery company just on an assembly line. And then he, he worked in a welding company doing something. So it was, yeah, when he first came, it was pretty difficult. He was just doing a number of odd jobs, but he did uh, study and then got an education degree and then went on to become actually the principal here of a, of the first uh, Islamic private school. So, um, so for them, it was, you know, it wasn't easy for sure. And, and I remember growing up, like we grew up in Edmonton housing and very, very little money. Um, so it wasn't easy like most Palestinian families uh, when they came here. So. And were you in public school in Edmonton then? Uh, so actually I was in Catholic school. Yeah. My oh, whole, right. Catholic life, school, but yeah. you were, sorry. Keep up, Scott. <laughs> Well, it is a public school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, so, right? yeah, so, so the system. But yeah. yes, you were in. You were in. So, what was what was that like? Uh, <laughs> um, for you, I mean, obviously, you were you grew. You know what you would remember was growing up in Canada, probably right when you moved somewhere when you're two. You probably don't have much memory before that. But was uh, what just talk yeah, about sort of what some of your experiences true. were like uh, growing up in what I assume was predominantly white uh, Catholic school system. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I, I was, my dad was a very <laughs> kind of strict and disciplined guy. So I really got along really well. Like I was, you know, I liked sports. I, I was actually part of peer support in grade 12. I won, I won an award called the Caritas Christie Award for most Christian-like student, the only Muslim <laughs> in the school. So I didn't really, I, uh, yeah, so I was That's kind awesome. of a goody two-shoot. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, I was kind of a, you know, good kid. And, and, and again, like when people ask me like, oh, you're so active now, you must have been outspoken in high school and stuff. I really wasn't. I was, I was like an Edmonton kid just trying to find my way and, you know, like, just like any other kid, I, I loved the Oilers growing up. I, I'm a sports guy too. So um, it was just, it was very normal. And, and honestly, even the Palestine issue, it was just, it was, it was not even brought up. Like I went to St. Francis Xavier and, you know, like you said, for lack of a better term, Catholic white guys, all like very, you know, and, and, and that segment of the population, unfortunately, a lot of them are Zionists or they're pro-Zionist or pro-Israel. So it was never even like, we didn't discuss it much. My friends knew, uh, my close friends, my teachers, everyone knew because I was never an apologetic Palestinian. I was always like, no, you know, we're right. I feel like we're right and we're being oppressed, but there was no way, there was no avenue for it. And again, I, I feel like in the eighties and nineties, um, you know, information, the media especially was filtered through very few sources, right? One or two sources. And those sources were very pro-Israel. So it isn't like it is now where we have a podcast like this, where I can come and give my narrative. It was always, even my narrative was told from the Israeli perspective. So, so growing up, it was like, you know, there was just so many blocks 
uh, for my Palestine work. Um, and it didn't happen until university and now after the, that I started doing that. But I wish I could tell you like, oh, it was so different from back home. But no, back no. home for me is some reasons. So now we're, well, with, I, we're sorry. One more question, Jeremy, just about his youth there. Were your parents um, like pretty, when you were like, how early into your life were you starting to learn about your home land and what that was what was really like oh, you know what you know because yeah. you know you get sheltered or whatever your parents want you to have a nice child or whatever it is they don't want to what when were they starting to educate you on on this kind of stuff so for, for us like yeah and my my parents you know as immigrants they were kind of like you know get, put your head down work hard you know you know be as good a citizen as you can give back to the community my dad was really into charity and stuff like that so for us, like it was all always like from the beginning. Um, most Palestinians you talk to, like they won't let you forget they're Palestinian. Like it was, it was the topic of conversation always in our house. Um, my dad was one of those people that, even though we were here, he would keep up with as much news from back home as possible. Um, so we were always being educated. In fact, I remember my first protest was I was probably like twelve or eleven years old. It was. No, it was 11 or 10 because it was before we moved from Calgary. And uh, my dad took us to a protest. And it wasn't like it was today. There was like maybe seven or eight of us there, Palestinians. And, and it was like scary. Like a lot of people around that just looked at us like we were terrorists, basically. And so I still, for some reason, I still remember the chant. It was Reagan Bagan. You should know we support the PLO. And so it was <laughs> referenced to Reagan and Menachem Bagan, who was the prime minister of Israel. So... Um, it honestly, that it was always in our household. It was always something we were always, always learning about and passionate about. And, um, so it's been with me since I was a kid. It's, I don't remember, I don't remember a time before it. So. And, and, and what was that like when, when you were growing up and, you know, you'd meet people that, you know, like uh, any teenager would, and they would ask you, Oh, where's your family from? And you would say Palestine. Like, did you ever get people saying like, never heard of it <laughs> or like yeah, isn't that israel yeah. now or like like what's that like to navigate yeah i'll be honest like a lot in the 90s a lot of times you'd say like oh yeah i'm from palestine and people would be like oh pakistan that's great and oh, like, yeah. oh, like, Palestine. It, it sounds like a joke but i get that a lot actually surprisingly but i mean yeah it's you know the interactions are it's funny because for such a polarizing and dominating issue that it is in the news people know very little about it um traditionally so it's kind of frustrating um but my i don't like ignorance to me is not a, a fault so like if someone comes and they're ignorant i'm like great I'll, I'll educate you i'll let you know what i know right but mine is like you get a lot of people that just come with you know they've read four or five of the hasbara Israeli propaganda lines and then they just want to put those in your face but, but what about Hamas but what about this and aren't they all terrorists and they're not coming to have a dialogue they're not coming to honestly learn it's it's that you know they just want to tell you how they feel and that's it right that, that's the frustrating part for me and growing up I, I just felt like a lot of people who you know wanted to talk about it really knew nothing about it and they just wanted to kind of give you these talking points that they were told to, to give to Palestinians. So. Do, do you think that even like in some ways, uh, a lot of those talking points are almost not like they're, they're not innate, but they become so natural because it's 
like you say, like the you know ignorance to, to a fault, or it's almost the default position in North America. Mm -hmm. Like the Israel point of view is taught in a way, the truth of that is taught in a way as if you're teaching that the sky is blue or whatever, right? Like so, yeah. yeah. It you know I don't even remember how old I was when I finally realized that this was a but I was a lot older like I was in my like adulthood when I finally started to myself you know and so and I had and like you know like Roberta who's uh, a friend of the show a, a Jewish um, woman she has always been super she's a history uh, teacher or professor so she's always been very educated on this stuff and uh, so ironically, it was a Jewish person that helped me learn about this properly and this kind of stuff. And uh, her, you know, parents uh, ignorance for, you know, lack of a better term about the whole subject. But anyways, I just sort of like as you're going through meeting people like um, that frustration must be just sort of like something that like you can't like there's no solve for you there yeah. right because it is the default yeah, position of people mm. and to almost no fault of their own based on what they've yeah. been taught and they see right yeah and i i feel like i mean narrative is so important uh in the discussion on palestine and israel and that's exactly what you're talking about is like you you come across a narrative and the crazy thing is like for me I almost feel like now it's it's become almost like uh, Orwellian, you know, like uh, if you remember 1984, the, the concept of doublethink, you know, freedom is slavery, war is peace. And, and just like this, this idea that, you know, it, like self-defense, that's the perfect one. Like in my head, there is no argument for self-defense for Israel and every argument you can make for self-defense for the Palestinians. Yet for some reason, Media, by and large, has bought this. Israel has the right to defend itself. Every president says it. There's no, and it's not even a nuanced discussion. Like, what does that mean? Can they bomb hospitals? Can they kill children? They don't even have that nuanced discussion. It's just like, nope, they have the right to defend themselves. Um, the other big one for me is terrorism. Like, they say, you know, Palestinians will, you know, reward terrorism. But if we look at Israel, like, I mean, before October 7th, don't forget, there was tens of thousands of Israelis marching in the street. To, to, to protest their government who was trying to do the judicial overhaul, right? And so it's not like people were satisfied with the government. And there is a theory out there that says, you know, Netanyahu, as soon as he he ends this war, he's because he's right now in court still facing mm -hmm. charges, right? So people are saying he's trying to keep this war up just to keep his seat of power. But, but if you look at, you know, the Israeli government over the last three years here has become so extreme and so right-wing that even Israelis can't tolerate it. And we talk about terrorism and rewarding terrorism. So you guys know the name ben, uh, Itmar Ben-Vir. Oh, yes. the Minister of, of uh, Defense. Public so this guy, uh, a couple years ago, was, sorry, go ahead. Uh, okay, sorry, public safety, even yeah. better. The Minister of Public <laughs> Safety. Um, uh, Sorry, I know what you're saying. But yeah, so he's the minister, basically the Minister of Defense. So this guy was charged in an Israeli court, not in a foreign court, in an Israeli court for inciting hatred against Palestinian and supporting supporting a terrorist organization because the Kahanists are so extreme in Israel that they're, they're considered terrorist organizations. So how did they punish him? 
uh, of being accused, he became the minister in the country. Um, and this is not like an uncommon trend. Most Israelis who are in the Haganah, which was terrorist organization, a Jewish terrorist organization before Israel became a country, most of them got uh, became what is known today as the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces. Most former prime ministers participated in one or more terrorist attacks in Palestine. So when they talk about terrorism, it's funny because they say these things, but even when they try someone in their own courts on terrorism, they reward him with a position in government. And I don't know if you guys know this, but they also gave him his own guard. Like, like you know, the stormtroopers, how they had, like, they gave him his yeah, own yeah. set of stormtroopers, basically. Yeah. And, 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 and sorry. And, and so, like, when I see things like that, and yeah, and it's like, uh, just to sum it up, it's like a great pundit, uh, Egyptian guy, Bassan Yusuf. I don't know if you guys heard him, but yeah. he said, you know, the West looks at Israel like it's Superman, but actually it's Homelander, um, you know, from the boys, if you guys understand oh, the reference. Yeah, oh, yeah. Love it. So, so that's like, that's how I, I always feel like it's, I always feel like, okay, I'm the one, you know, and it's the same with media interviews. Like, you know, do you condemn Hamas? It's like, I just walked in the room. Number one, why do I have to speak on behalf of Hamas? And why is, why don't Israelis ever have to condemn their governments for their atrocities? And number two, like, you know, don't reduce all Palestinians to Hamas. Why are you reducing us all to one simple, you know, it's, it's an insult to Palestinians, right? And uh, yeah, go ahead. No, Sorry, I I just, to... Yeah, I just find it like what bugs me about the whole Hamas argument anyways is that like like if you look at what happened in Canada when people were asked to stay home for a little bit, you know what I mean? They flipped out yeah. and like created a convoy and went to Ottawa and were like, we're going to fucking hang the guy and uh, you're, you know, stay here until you give us everything we want. And then their brain, like people watched that happen. And then their brain can't understand that after, you know, decades upon decades of, you know, occupation and being shrunk and being completely controlled, that there might be some quote on air quotes, radical group that will come up and be like, we'll do, we're, we're going to do all of what is considered to be terrorist activities. And again, yeah. Like uh, that—that's what's most infuriating about the "do you condemn Hamas" thing or whatever. It's like Mm -hmm. that—it's that part of the conversation should be so far in the past by now, anyways. Like the only Mm -hmm. conversation we should be having is uh, the occupation, like the the Mm -hmm. Israel-Palestine, like it, and you know, getting the foot off the throat, right? Because like the the idea that like and that's just part of the like the propaganda that we get here right we'll just make hamas this big well-funded you know this organization that's like all palestinians are part of or whatever and anyways i just well i just can't believe canadians can't figure out that people who are occupied are going to be annoyed and and you know um you know, we have all these uh, pro-Israel people in in media, in in politics that are now saying that, uh, you know, Hamas is ISIS or Hamas is worse than the Nazis. Um, You know, and I think if you're starting a sentence, at least the Nazis, then just shut up. And, you know, but but with ISIS, with ISIS, I mean, 
Hamas, it, and you know, if you people know stuff about Hamas and aren't just willing to, in uh, this isn't a a, a defensive of, of Hamas as an organization which yeah. has a lot of, you know, is a deeply conservative religious, um, yeah. um, movement. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, they've been at war with like Salafi ISIS style jihadis in Gaza, right? I mean, there's a there's an ISIS cell in Gaza like a decade ago, wasn't there? And they uh, they got rid of it pretty quick. Um, yeah. And um, but I think that, you know, we look at October 7th. And so let's assume everything that Israel said about October 7th is true, even though we know uh certain things certainly aren't like 40 beheaded babies um or uh you know putting babies in ovens um but israel's done all simply that. that it was unprovoked or that yeah i mean that i mean come on Every, everything is provoked in g right like like <laughs> that like it, but but it's this like neoconservative mindset that it's just good yeah. guys and bad guys the good guys are us and look like us and the bad yeah. guys are like scary, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, brown people. But the the very everything that Hamas is accused of doing on October seventh, Israel's done. Or in the case of Sabra Shatila, Israel like fucking guarded their allies while they did it. Right? Like like yeah, the yeah, most yeah. horrific things. Um, yeah. And in in but for some reason, when Israelis do it, it's an aberration. Right. It's it's not yeah. who they are. But yeah. when a Palestinian um, does something it, it, yeah. that represents their culture, right, in this in in, in, in this sickness and um, yeah. um, in, in, in this need to just, you know, uh, I found it interesting recently, the, the Zionist like, uh, you know, the Hasbara talking point. Um, is very the, the, they're very it's very co confused now and muddled it's almost like they're trying they're like experimenting to see how like credulous their supporters are where it's like on the one hand it's like no no no, no we don't target civilians we are 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 we uh warn people to get out and our, um, you know, our, our bombs are very precise, even when they're not, um, though I do believe they are being very precise in where they're targeting. Um, then on, but then on the flip side, it's like, yeah, but also uh, civilians in Gaza deserve it because uh, they elected Hamas uh, a lifetime ago. Um, you know, people were celebrating October 7th because... Uh, you know, I mean, I could see why if you're a Palestinian in Gaza, you would be happy that someone has um, breaking out, broke out of the, the, the cage and also not knowing all the details of what happened at the time. But I I, I mean, I, I, I that all, I do have a question. Um, I, all that is to say, I think that there is like I can sense it myself as a Jewish person who is raised in an environment, you know, talk about how Palestinians brainwash their kids. And it's like, well, if you like had to be buried out of rubble when you're a child, I don't think you need to be brainwashed to not be fond <laughs> yeah. of the person who uh, did that to you. Um, but I, I, I mean, Jewish kids are absolutely uh, brainwashed and a lot of them are, you can see rejecting it in the younger generation. 
And yeah. so I, I, I can see from where I'm sitting that there is this generational shift in, in, in yeah. consciousness on this topic. And uh, I was wondering if you've noticed the same thing and, 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 and um, what, how sort of, cause you're a bit older than me. Um, but I don't think you're older than Scott. Like, how have you seen sort of the way people talk about this Dick issue? Move there, just by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I maybe I'm forty six. So you're what? Forty six. You're born in seventy seven. I figured that out earlier. So was I. Man. Oh, boom! Well, same age. Nice. Yeah, July. I'm August. Oh wow! Oh, I'm older by a month. There you go. <laughs> so I wasn't wrong. It's okay. My wife's a month older than me, so we can just she's these. <laughs> I rub it in for now, Scott. That's that's how you're damn right. Yeah, no, <laughs> no you're good. But Go ahead, I, Jeremy. This this is the longest question yeah. in history, so we're gonna let yeah, 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 yeah. Like, how have you seen the yeah. conversation shift, and what's that been like as someone who yeah. so is it's interesting. Yeah, I definitely like for me, even just the last uh, well, since October seventh is one dramatic shift and even before that like in the last five years i'd say um there's been a shift in not just people knowing and siding with palestine but people really want to get educated on it like you know a lot of people like when i come out and say uh, israel's an apartheid state it's one thing but when you have you know a bunch like for yourself a white jewish guy saying hey israel's an apartheid state it 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 bolsters it it uh um you know it uh like it buffers us. It it really it, it gives us some backing. It's, it's so sad. Really, black South Africans, for that matter. It's sadly well, yeah, what's exactly. needed, right? Like it's it's sadly what's needed. Yeah. It is, and a perfect example is just the discussion you guys were just having. The way you talked about Hamas, I would never be able to talk to it about in the media. I could uh, immediately would say he's defending what they did on October seventh. He's a Hamas supporter. He's this like immediately like I'm telling you like yeah you're a bird yeah um, you're a toast yeah anyway. for sure. But I do I do think it's important to talk about it because for me I look at it like listen I'm a Muslim I'm a human I don't condone obviously any act of terrorism by anybody but you know and that's but you want me to trust the Western powers who are all dead wrong on Nelson Mandela and the African National Congress. It's these same people that called Nelson Mandela and the African National Congress terrorists that are calling Hamas terrorists today. So, I mean, if their moral compass was so far off on Nelson Mandela, why should I trust them today, right? And I mean, and again, gotta be clear, I'm not defending or, or condemning anyone. I'm just saying in the West, we think here that the world has the same opinion we do. Like, do you guys know that only... Canada, U.S., Japan, Australia, and Europe consider Hamas a terrorist organization. No one in Africa does. No, nobody in Asia except Japan does. Um, the world opinion, if you look at every year that the United Nations votes on the question of Palestine, every year it's phrased differently, the vote's always the same, 150 to 4. It's Israel, the U.S., and then two small islands that are completely reliant on the U.S., right? So they just vote their way. Um, and so, you know... When we talk, talk about Hamas here, it's very different to how people talk about it in other places in the world. Well, and um, you, you know, in, uh, when I was in Ramallah, yeah. no, go ahead, no, go ahead. Finish I was just going to say, interestingly enough, when I was in Ramallah this last summer, I don't know if you know this, but in this, in, in there's a, a a street called Nelson Mandela Street, and there's 
a massive, it's got to be the biggest Nelson Mandela statue in the world because it's huge. I took a picture of it. It's like 30 feet high or something of Nelson Mandela with his fist raised. So the Palestinians know very well, uh, you know, the relationship they have with South Africa and the apartheid and the South Africans know it very well too. That's why it bothers me when people say, what does South Africa know taking them to the you know, genocide? <laughs> Well, how about, how about the fact that they're the only people ever to live through an apartheid that we know? They'll know apartheid better than anyone else. And that's why it's fitting that they're the ones that take, are taking them to the International Court of Justice. Uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to Zionists uh, boycotting South Africa now. That uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> they've, but I, I, I did... It's so crazy, some of the ironies that are happening, you know, like, and again, yeah. like you have this... The, the genocide convention, the one that they're, you know, the, they're trying to get um, Israel, you know, accused of genocide. First of all, Israel is a signatory to that convention. They signed that convention. All the UN countries are. And do you know why the genocide convention came about? Ultimately, because of the Holocaust. It didn't. They didn't want to see another Holocaust. And now you have these people who the convention was created for on trial because of that exact thing. Right. So it's it's just I mean, the ironies are nonstop. And, and for me, again, I, I see things a little bit differently, maybe than some people. But it's honestly like it's an Orwellian world, the way they talk about it here in the West. Before uh, Jeremy asks his next question, I think that's going to shift the topic a little bit. You were just talking about like um, seeing sort of people here sort of. Um, maybe not necessarily shifting how they think, but at least wanting to learn more and whatnot. I was wondering if like um, and I know you've been really kind of into it this whole time, but if you were able to sort of zoom out a little bit, how would you describe sort of like, are, I guess, are you like, where are you at as far as your like our, um, people's reactions that you've seen, how people have evolved since October 7th? And how they think about um, the Israeli occupation, or 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 just approach the situation um, in the Middle East. Have you been at all like seeing a positive, a bit happy with it? like like you know what I'm saying? Like, are you seeing a, yeah, a yeah. shift that you I can see. say like I'm I'm into that, or is it like? I'm so there's a couple of things. My words because it's late at night and I was at work all day, but no, 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 it's all good. I think I get your point. Yeah, I think I get your point. There's a few things happening. Number one, I'll be I'll be honest. Like pro Palestine solidarity now, it's so popular that it's almost cool. Like I know there's a portion of the people coming to the rallies because you know all their buddies are doing it, or now all of a sudden Palestine's cool, free Palestine, and I don't mind that. Great, let the celebrities come on board. Let everybody come on board. Everybody's welcome. But I just hope that doesn't fade. You know, the, the problem, again, like we talked about earlier. You don't want it to be the ALS water challenge, ice bucket challenge. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fact that Israel always gets to pick the starting point in the news is is unfortunate because, you know, we don't hear about the what's happening on a daily basis to the Palestinians. And it's like you said earlier, Scott, or I, th I think it was you or Jeremy that said, everything that Hamas has been accused of, Israel has done and not just done it, done it 10 times more. Like we talk about prisoners, right? Like uh, hostages that Palestinians take on, on November 7th, you know, like there's 5,000 prisoners. Uh, and these are hostages. In my opinion, they're hostages, not prisoners, because number one, most of them are taken under administrative detention, which as you guys know, means no trial. No, you don't even know what you're being charged with. In fact, your lawyer is not even allowed to know what you're being charged with. Uh, under administrative detention and all of this happens on a daily basis in the West Bank. 
So, you know, to say that, oh, now they kidnapped hostages, now they kill people, this is an atrocity, we have to address this. No, this is happening on a daily basis in the West Bank. And in the West Bank, a place where there is no Hamas, where apparently if Hamas is the problem, then why is Israel doing this in the West Bank? You know, so, and again, there's so many things to say, like Hamas changed their charter in 2017. Um, you know, it has nothing about the annihilation of Jews in it. It's And in fact, what's interesting is, we got accused, as you guys know, someone was arrested in Calgary for saying from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. So I met with the police the day the day that happened because we had a rally scheduled this the following day. And I, I asked them point blank, I'm going to say this chant and I'm leading the chant. If I say it, will I be arrested? And they said, absolutely not. Like the Edmonton police, our relationship with them has been, it, it's been really good. Like we've, we've managed to have no arrests. We have some of the biggest rallies in the country. Um, but from the river to the sea, again, here's another we, for me, it's the opposite. If you look in the, so Likud is the ruling government of Israel right now, right? The Likud government. In their charter, and it has been since they started in 1977, it says there will be no sovereignty in the land from the river. It literally says from the river to the sea, except Israeli sovereignty. So if anyone is 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 using that line to annihilate another people, it's Israel, not the Palestinians. We're saying it in the context that, hey, we live in the area from the river to the sea, and we would like the freedom of movement, the freedom of speech, freedom of, you know, all the freedoms that Israelis get. That's all we're saying. We want to be free from the river, river to the sea to have the rights that everyone else has. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting how when Palestinians chant it, it's it's genocidal, and that's just become like this conventional wisdom that 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 gets uh, repeated uh, without uh, critique in, in in the media. But uh, when um, the Israeli government's ruling party uh, has it in their, uh, charter. It's in their charter. And, yeah. 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 It's in their charter. And they love talking about Hamas's 1988 charter, which is very, I mean, it's like cartoonishly anti-Semitic, but obviously there's a historical context to when it was written in sort of the, remember um, when it was written. Yeah. And you know, one thing I will say though, and it may be controversial or not, but when I go back home, when you talk to people, yes, there are a lot of people that say Jew and they do, oh, the Jews came and took my land. But when you start to ask them, oh, so you're talking about like Jewish as in the religious Jew? No, 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 no. When they came, right. how they identified themselves were Jews. So that's why we were again, they could have been Christians. They could have been black. They could have been white. We would have said the same thing. The whites took my land. The blacks, the Christians took my land. The Muslims took my land. It just happened to be the Jews. So, and that's, and I've, I've told them when I go back home, I, I, I advise you guys to say Zionist. Because even though I know you're not anti-Semitic and you're using it as a description, that's not how it's taken in the West. I tell them in the West, they look at it like, oh, you hate them because they're Jewish, not because of what they're doing, because of who they are. And that's one thing that I've said. And I, I'm the last three years I spent doing research for I'm writing a book called Palestine Israel, not Israel, but Israel, like it is. Real. So Hell yeah, I love, love it. Love I just it. love wordplay. So, um, so <laughs> like, good. you know, and uh and I've been like, I went to Palestine, did some research. I was in, I was actually in Cape Town in South Africa. I got to visit the, the, the cell that Nelson Mandela was in on Robben Island. And so, you know, I, I've learned that doing all this research, it, a lot of, a lot of what happens is unfortunately we tell the Palestinians what they mean by things. And it's, and I just gave you two examples when you talk to them and they say, well, Jews came and took my home. Oh, that's anti-Semitic. You want to kill all Jews. And no, no, no. The person that came, identified themselves and said, I'm Jewish. 
I'm here because God gave me this land. Now you have to leave. So that they're just telling you that person took my land and they're using it as a descriptor. But they say, no, that's not what you mean. You mean you want all Jews dead. Same thing with from the river to the sea. And that's why it's such a da dangerous precedent. They're not now just telling me what I can or can't say. They're telling me what I mean by what I can or can't say. And that's dangerous. That's like at that point, then they can say anything is anti-Semitic. Free Palestine's anti-Semitism. Free from what? Jews. You know what I right. mean? So it's. That's why it's just such a dangerous precedent to say from from the river to the sea is anti-Semitic. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think what you said, at least to, to me and to Scott and our listeners, is controversial at all. Like, of course, no. when, I mean, if you're living in Palestine and the only Jewish people you've ever met are soldiers or settlers terrorizing you then obviously that's going to color your perception of jewish people but then uh, in a lot of people these a lot of people in house i'm sure don't realize that some of the leading people um in opposing uh israel's uh apartheid policies are are jews right and in 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 yeah. um and in, in, yeah. in, in, in that respect, too, I, I, I think Israel's actions also make Jews unsafe. Like like there there is an increase in anti-Semitism and, and it, it, it does have to do with Israel's um, the, the, the the slaughter that's that's happening in, in Gaza. It, again, there there's a deliberate conflation going on between yeah. and back to what you were saying about the change. A lot of the change I've seen is in Jews predominantly. Like you look in the U.S., the survey they did of 18, Jews age 18 to 35 who don't agree with the state of Israel. And honestly, when I go visit, like every soldier I run into is, seems to be like, they speak English. They're like, oh, I'm from California and I'm just here to do my two years because my dad's super religious and he wants me. I don't give a crap. about." One guy told me, I don't care about Israel or Palestine. I just want to do my time and go back home. And 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 there, I don't know if you guys know, but there's a group called Breaking the Silence. Yeah. So they're right. So they're Israeli Jews who refuse to serve in the army. I think they're over a thousand members now. And, you know, they're the one the, the, in Israel. They're leading the charge uh, against uh, Israel's occupation and their apartheid. And, and there's so many Jews that are against the state of Israel now that it's very hard to, to, to say like, oh, this is, this is about hatred of Jews. Well, no, it's Jews coming out and saying this. And, and I mean, the idea for me, I hate the anti-Semitism thing because deep down, I know myself, I'm so not anti-Semitic, like Asher, you know, like I've grown up with Jewish people. And to me, it's all about Listen, if you hate them because of who they are, I'm not standing with you. If you hate them because of something they did, I'll, I'll, I'll stand by you. It's a very simple, uh, you know, um, demarcation to make so people understand where you're at. And, and, and I mean, again, so, anti-Semitism cannot be conflated with anti-Zionism because if they are, then you just not, silence all conversations. And not, you to be like, and it's also, not to be if, like a stickler for the definitions or anything, but like... Uh, Palestinians are Semitic people too. Like it is the Very word itself refer refers to not just Hebrew but Arabic speaking yep. peoples. Like this is it's a stupid term, and we're just giving like we're giving uh too much time to the unnuanced arguments that most people that will listen to our show won't even have anyway at this point. We don't have to disclaim every yeah. time we talk about um, 
when an occupied people responds that it, we can talk about it yeah. saying that that we are on the side of freeing those people without having to disclaim every single time that we condemn this or not for that yeah fuck this first of all the forgotten corner is always and forever will be a non-violent fucking advocate show like this is what we do here we come here to be like yeah. killing people is fucking bad and 100% of the time we will choose the occupied side that's the side that we're going to be on we yeah. that's what we're trying to do yeah. in truth and reconciliation those of us that are trying yeah. to be more serious about it are yeah. are trying to realize that like whether I did something or my dad, it doesn't fucking matter. I yeah. benefit yeah. from what happened and what yeah. happened wasn't very cool. And we should figure out a way to be like, Hey, we're really sorry about that. And we're going to educate at each other better yeah. upon that. And this yeah. is all we are trying to do yeah. with something that's exactly the same. Not exactly the same, obviously, but in the sense of, a people being occupied, eradicated, like this is, this is, you know, you just, what's the difference, right? Like what are the, you're yeah. still being spread out apart around the land. You're stuck in these spots. You're That's given right. certain rules. It's, you yeah. just haven't even, even yeah. gotten to the part where you get the bullshit treaties yet where people, you know. All right, folks, we have reached the end of part one of our interview with Musa Kuskus. He is the a spokesperson for the Canadian Palestinian Cultural Association and a board member for the Canadians for Justice in the Middle East. Um, tune in next week for uh, uh, part two of our very candid interview. Uh, thank you again to our patrons. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week.